Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello. Welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Uh, it's snowing where I am. Now you may say, who cares? You know, we're not, not tuning in for the weather forecast. This is pertinent in a way. It's going to link to uh, the tournaments on this week, the English Open in Brentwood, because the last event that they had there, we're going back 30 years now, the World Match Play on ITV uh, was in Brentwood, and it was around the same time, it was December time, and I remember very clearly being at school, and it snowed, massively snowed, and in those days, there was no internet then, stay with this, we'll, we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the Red Hot Snooker chat shortly, uh, but there's no internet in those days, so... To find out whether your local school had been closed because of snow, you used to tune into the local radio, the BBC local radio, BBC WM in my case, and you'd sit there and they'd list the schools, and if you heard your school listed, of course, there'd be a big cheer, because it meant you had the day off. But anyway, that definitely happened uh, during the World Match Play. So it seems that snow uh, is synonymous with uh, with Brentwood, that's what I'm saying. It may not be snowing in Brentwood, I don't know. But anyway, uh, the English Open uh, starts... Uh, starts to. Uh, on Monday, uh, I went live, had the week off, I've done nothing this week, I've been to the cinema, uh, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed not doing anything. But we're back uh, with the last two weeks now of snooker uh, of 2022, two weeks, the English Open and then the Championship League is back, the invitation version in Leicester, and uh, all the big names are in it again, they've all signed up, so uh, it's going to be uh, of course 16 days over a couple of months, but it starts uh, the day after the English Open, but the English Open first of all. And uh, it's a bit of a homecoming uh, for snooker, this, because think of some of the really big figures in the sport. Steve Davis played at Romford for, for, for many years. Barry Earn, of course, based in Brentwood. That's the reason we're going there. Ronnie O'Sullivan, no bigger figure. You know, big big figures from Essex who've sort of shaped snooker over four decades. There's never been a ranking event staged in Essex. This is the 399th world ranking event on the World Snooker Tour, and there's never been one in Essex. So it's about time, and I know Barry Hearn is, is very much, uh, you know, of the view that there should be one there, and we're going there. We'll see. The venue, they say, may not suit a multi-table event, but it hasn't started yet, so let, let's give it a chance. I hope that it's uh, a good week. Uh, before we crack on with the emails, there's been some more serious news this week. The first was the passing of Patrick Delsem, a Belgian player at the age of 48, who's playing in a tournament in Morocco. Uh, and passed away suddenly. So, of course, we send our condolences to his family and friends. 
And it, it, it's a kind of circular thing, this, in a way, because it, he, as a teenager, played Ronnie O'Sullivan in the World Under-21 Championship, 1991. And on Monday night, Ronnie's going to play another Belgian teenager, Ben Mertens, uh, just 18 in the first round of the English Open. So that's the new generation of Belgian player. I'm sure there'll be a chance to reflect on Patrick Del Sem when that match takes place. He came through, as I say, sort of a couple of decades ago. He got to the final round of qualifying for the World Championship 20 years ago and, and nearly made it to the Crucible. Quinton Hand beat him 10-3 in that round. Uh, he was around with the likes of Bjorn Hanavier. So this was the sort of the, the previous wave of, of, of Belgian players before the likes of Luca Brassell broke through. So very sad for the Belgian snooker community. The other serious story in the last few days, you may have seen that uh, five Chinese players have been suspended by the WPBSA uh, because of an ongoing match-fixing investigation. Liang Wenbo had already uh, been suspended. And now the other players suspended. Lu Ning, Li Hang, Zhao Jianbo, Bai Lang Ning, Chang Bing Yu. Here's... I'm not going to say much about this because the case is ongoing. There's been no charges brought. And it's important that that, that case is allowed to proceed without sort of outside comment, which is never really particularly helpful. But here's what I know about this. The word went round a couple of months ago that Chinese players at a, at a qualifying event had all had their phones taken off them by WPBSA. All the players, all the big names, everybody. And the result of that was that these particular players, it was found, had a case to answer. Liang Wenbo had already been suspended prior to that. Um, so this is obviously an ongoing investigation. Uh, the case uh, is going to take some time. I suspect we won't see any of them again this season. It'll take time. It's important they get the chance to put their side of the story, of course, and that's why I'm not going to comment on it further, uh, except to say, obviously, it's a terrible thing to happen. Uh, just the publicity, regardless of how it all ends up, and maybe they'll all be cleared, but the fact that it's out there in the headlines, it's not any good at all for snooker. The only good news I would say is this, OK? Snooker is not an athletic sport, so what we don't have is problems with performance-enhancing drugs, which is a massive cheating scandal in a lot of sports and particularly with technology moving in the way it is you know i think we're not naive to think that there weren't athletes out there in various sports who are actually evading the testing process because in, in different sports the testing processes are of different kind of uh, strengths if you like so we don't have that problem in snooker and those sports by the way also have problems with match fixing it's it's, it's a problem with every sport this is something that clearly you know, is is an issue that needs to be stamped down, and it is being. You know, there, there's a proper sort of squad of people now, integrity unit, who are on the lookout for this stuff, and that's important. And I, I hope that, you know, if any any one has been found to do anything wrong, then they they face the proper punishment. But as I say, that case is going to be resolved by others, and we will uh, follow the the developments um, as it goes on. I do think as well that linked to this, it would not be um, unwelcome to have a discussion at some point about snooker's links to gambling, which are historic. They go back to snooker clubs and money matches and side bets. It's always been part of the culture. There's nothing wrong with betting. You know, it's, it, it can be a fun activity. It can also be incredibly destructive, as we know. And the players, someone like Mark King has spoken about this, and there's others as well who have been in the grip of gambling. Willie Thorne was the most obvious example of that. Um, but it's always kind of been out in the open. I, I remember, again, around the time of this snowfall that I mentioned earlier, it all comes back together. Um, I was at a tournament, and a very well-known player of the time, he isn't playing now, I won't say who it was, but it was a household name of the time, 
was about to play a match and suddenly emerged in the public foyer in, in his dress suit, about to play, talking 10 minutes before the match, and sort of bustled his way to the betting window, the on-site bookmaker, to have a bet in full view of everybody. Now, I don't know what he was betting on, but it was probably his own match. He may have been on himself to win. It may have been an insurance bet on his opponent in case he won. I don't know. But it was the thing about it that struck me even then, how just out in the open it was. There was no, no it wasn't hidden away at all. And like it or not, you know, the, the, the sort of links we have with gambling, and we've had a lot of uh, betting sponsors over the years, that is a part of the whole picture when it comes to the match-fixing side as well. I'm not suggesting gambling should be outlawed or anything like that. That'd be ridiculous. But but it is a conversation maybe to be had at another time. Um, anyway, we'll move on because uh, the happier times ahead. As I say, the English Open is coming up. And... Um, Thank you to everybody who got in contact after last week's uh, rather self-regarding episode about my 25 years uh, in snooker. This story actually broke on this Chinese betting thing on the actual 25th anniversary, so it was, uh, thanks a lot for that. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's see what people have been saying. There's haven't had many this week, and that's fine. There's been nothing going on, and people, I think, uh, are watching the football. Uh, England have uh, been knocked out. Uh, now, people in other countries, again, who cares? But... It was a classic, I mean, we're not a football podcast, but it was a classic England defeat because it had all the ingredients of a classic England World Cup defeat. We played well, that was the first thing. We had a, a sense we were being cheated by the officials, which is always part of, a, of an exit. And of course the other thing that happened was we missed a penalty. <laughs> Harry Kane, I mean Harry Kane, great uh, goal scorer, but he missed a penalty. So all the ingredients of a proper exit were there and we wish... Uh, our dear friends from France, uh, all the best, <laughs> just about. Of course, the Scottish Open was the week before, and uh, now Jethro has been to the Scottish Open. Now, we always like to hear people's um, experiences of tournaments, snooker fans' experiences. So Jethro's been there, and, he, and this is what he says. He says, I know you're interested in the public experience when attending the snooker, so I thought I would jot down a couple of experiences of attending the Scottish Open at its new venue in Edinburgh. The first snooker I've been to since the Crucible and since the Emirates Arena in Scotland. It's a mixed bag, but overall it was a brilliant day. We took in both semi-finals, which perhaps when we're driving from Glasgow to Edinburgh, there was a slight disappointment on the final four. But that was our issue, and both games are excellent and hugely enjoyable. Takeaways are bulleted below. I did six of each, OK? So he's done positives and negatives. So we'll start with the positives. It says, the arena had good views. We were towards the back of Block A, but had a great view, and I was encouraged to see what looked to be quite a large crowd. It's a new facility, it's clean and the staff were great directing you to where you were supposed to be. The area had some nice bars nearby, we went to the Willow and had a great meal and a few drinks between sessions and they were very welcoming. The table seemed to be running perfectly and the four guys could concentrate on the game over any worries on that side. I liked the walk-on area for the players, it was a nice touch having the raised platform to walk from. It was fun watching the Eurosport team moving about between frames, including Ronnie lying on the floor at one point. It's a little insight to what goes on behind the scenes. So they're the positives, now these are the negatives. When arriving, a sign said car park full, park elsewhere. We'd no idea where elsewhere might be. So we went on a few laps of the, of the area. When we parked about 10 minutes away and walked down, it looked as though the sign shouldn't have been there, as there were plenty of spaces. As it's an arena, which has a lot going on, it maybe doesn't feel too special. Snooker is on the second floor in amongst various other things that aren't snooker related. But once you're up there, it was easy to navigate. The fan zone needs a lot of work in my view. The bar and food queues blocked access to the door and once you were in there, there were a few tables which were great but it wasn't clear what was going on and if you could get a hit, some signage or organised games would have been good. I don't think there was any merchandise available too. Did I miss it? 
if no WS team official merch, could they not work with Hendry, Williams, etc., and arrange something to sell by way of clothing, cues, etc.? The seats aren't comfy, temporary plastic chairs, but I don't suppose there's much option. Ten hours on them, though, is not ideal. Also, why was the whole area of seats? Why was there the whole area of seats where you couldn't see the table? It made it look empty despite being busy. Uh, transport links didn't look great, as there were a lot of people stood waiting on a bus at midnight when we left. He says, I'll finish on a positive. Okay, so Jethro finishing on a positive. It was great to be able to buy a radio at our seats. The Eurosport commentary really is unsurpassed. You can really tell the love of the game from Joe Johnson and Neil Folds. Knowledgeable and passionate and ably assisted by your fine self, of course. I have no comment to make on their price point of £12. Overall, it was a brilliant day and great to have Snooker back in Scotland. We absolutely will be back in the future. and Let's hope it's found a home for the foreseeable future. Thanks for all your efforts on the pod and on Eurosport. It's usually appreciated. Well, thank you. And uh, your your missive there from Edinburgh was appreciated. The venue was fuller than it looked. As you say, there were, there were seats you couldn't sit in because you wouldn't be able to see anything. So it, they were empty because they had to be. They should have really draped over, which is what they normally do, put drapes over them because it, it gave a false impression. There was kind of, on some sessions, it didn't look like many people there, but I think there were, there were probably more people there than, than it appeared on, on TV. But anyway... Thanks for taking the time, and actually you did put an addendum. You said, I should have mentioned, there were eight centuries in our 18 frames, we saw incredible standard. Yeah, well that's it, isn't it? You know, the, the, the standard, like you say, you went there on semi-finals day thinking, you know, this is not the best lineup. But those two matches were absolutely riveting. Um, Gary Wilson against Tep Charnu, and of course Joe O'Connor against Neil Robertson. Now, Scott Pease, I have a few odds and ends. Uh, first it occurred to me that to my knowledge, there's no snooker stat concerning snookers. It seems obvious, or am I missing something? There are a few options for specific snooker-related stats that I could come up with, but the best I could think of is number of frames won after needing snookers. Simple to track, unambiguous and impressive. Everyone knows that Selby and Higgins are great at this aspect of the game, but how often do they pull this feat off and who else stacks up? Well, just to answer that point, Scott, yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the problem is this stat would have need to have been kept from almost year zero, wouldn't it? Um, you can kind of maybe do it over the last few years, but no one was keeping it you know, going back when, for example, when Higgins turned pro ninety two, so it hasn't really been tracked um, without wading back through all the all the match sheets, and I don't think anyone's going to do that. So, yeah, it's it's a sort of lost um, stat in a way. Um, but uh, anyway, thank you for raising that. He says, second, do players ever name their cues? I feel like it, I would have heard of it if current players did, but maybe it was a thing in a different era. When you say name their cues, do you mean literally give them a name like Malcolm? I don't, <laughs> I don't know of anything like that, no. I mean, some players have, have called their cues all sorts of names before, not, not ones we can repeat on this podcast. Um, but I, I don't know of uh, any, any, any player naming a cue like you might, might a dog, no. Um, finally, I wanted to express how much I enjoyed the coverage of the UK Championship qualifiers. I think I would enjoy that style where the commentators switch amongst the many tables for other tournaments. Uh, for the tournament qualifiers, it keeps the flow going, lets you see players you never otherwise see, and the post-match interviews give you a feel for these same players. As a contrast, while I enjoyed the Scottish Open, we wound up in a situation where I was vaguely aware that Joe O'Connor was doing well, but got my first glimpse of him in his semi-final. Maybe I just missed his matches. Either way, I could have, couldn't have told you a thing about the man prior, and I write to a snooker podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, Scott. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, yes, we did the... Uh, this was sort of trialled at the UK Championship. Uh, we did four days... Well, two of them were Judgment Day, but we did uh, sort of different style of coverage. We did commentary, and it went down very well. And the latest I've heard in terms of views is 2.1 million views over the four days for all, on all platforms for the content, which is very good. You know, I mean, I don't think anyone would argue with that. And I'm told, I've spoken to the man about this, and I'm told 
that next season they will look to do more. Exactly the scope of it and the scale of it, I can't tell you, but it looks like it will be coming back, uh, hopefully, so that's good news. And it will enhance, like you say, in terms of, it will enhance your understanding of how the players have made their journey. Not just turning up, seeing them in the semi-final, but actually, oh, we saw them in the qualifiers and we've followed their story maybe all the way through. So it's definitely helpful, I think, to lower-end players, yeah, and, and, and just spreading the gospel of snooker, really, because a lot of areas of the world, you know, they, they find it hard to watch the game, but if it's live on YouTube or Facebook, then obviously that, uh, that helps. Now then, Gareth Collins in South Wales. He said, I hope you're well. Thank you for continuing to put in the time to provide these podcasts. They're now part of my weekly routine and I enjoy them so much. Well, thank you, Gareth. He said, please could you apply your deadpan humour and dispel the following idea. After a foul of the missus called, it's not great for anyone involved, never mind the length of time it takes for the Chuckle Brothers routine of To Me To You being carried out on live TV. It must be cheaper than the alternative used in China. Instead of having the monitor and someone advising the ref... Could the ref use an iPad, other tablets are available, to precisely and accurately put the balls back in an efficient manner? Interested to hear your thoughts and (laughs) put-downs. Goodbye, bye. Well, thank you. No, uh, it's a good idea. I mean, I think, as you've identified there, at the moment what we have is, if if the balls have to go back and the the referee needs help, the marker, who sat, you know, a little way away at the desk, has the little screen, they wind it back, and then it's the hand signals and all that. Now... You could still involve the marker, but maybe the marker could have the iPad and could come to the table with it and show the referee where the balls have to be so they could work together. I mean, you look at other sports where football's one and, and tennis have all, lots of officials there, you know, who are, are there to do their sort of uh, their proper role. But it seems to me if you've only got two officials on a match, they could work together more efficiently, actually. If the marker came to the table with the iPad, as you say, and just showed everybody, including the players, these are where the balls were, these are where they need to go again rather than being sat at a distance doing hand signals, it looks incredibly archaic, it's got to be said. And like you say, the, the, the technology has moved on a little bit. So other people say, you know, you could project it onto the table, all this sort of thing. They used to, I mean, the old Hawkeye, people remember years ago, that was obviously spot on, but that, that doesn't, that presumably is too expensive, I don't know. But uh, anyway, thanks for the suggestion and definitely um, there's work to do on that score, I think, in terms of speeding it up a bit. Joe Berry said, excellent podcast. It's a fantastic listen. Thank you. I'm writing in from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a London expat. And I rewatched Ronnie's fastest 147 for the thousandth time. and was wondering this time round, has the person who caught Ronnie's chalk in the crowd that day ever surfaced after the event or any time recently? I'd imagine it'd be worth a few bob, especially nowadays. Well, thank you, Joe. Uh, I, I don't know of anybody who claims to have it. I mean, it's one of those things where... Proving that it's his chalk would be difficult. We, we had this discussion a few weeks ago about, you know, who's got Dennis Taylor's, you know, famous potted black ball and all that. And how do you prove that it is that one? Because it, there's nothing on it to authenticate the fact that it is. Um, so I don't know what became of the chalk. He threw it into the crowd, didn't he? But who, who, who caught it and what happened to it? I don't know. This is in the days before people would post on Instagram, because there was no Instagram, <laughs> mainly was the reason. But So there's no sort of, you know, now that's what you do immediately. Um, of course, Ronnie, in 2006, he lost in the semi-finals to Graham Dot. He gave his cue away to a boy in the audience. Now, it'd be great to think, I think the kid was like 11 or 12. It'd be great to be able to say, you know, that and, and, and that boy was Scott Donaldson, and he went on to, he wasn't. He was, he was a random kid. We don't know what became of him um, or the cue. But... Uh, yeah, he's got he's got to form for giving things away in the audience. You say from Australia, I should mention 
two Australian players, Neil Robertson and uh, Ryan Thomason, who's new on the tour. They went to a school last week in Brentwood to do a snooker um, demonstration for the kids there, primary school. And it went down an absolute storm. And this is exactly the sort of thing the game needs to be doing. Take the players uh, into places like that, to in- certainly to introduce the, the next generation to the game. Um, and good on them for doing it. Good on Will Snooker Tour as well for organising that. And there's a video on their YouTube channel uh, showing you what happened. Kids seem to really love it. And uh, good on the players for, for going there. And that's that's good sort of community outreach, isn't it? That's what we need. If, if we take a tournament to an area, don't just turn up on day one and play the event. You know, do the work beforehand. Hopefully, I don't know whether they'll be had time off school to go. Maybe their schools are shut because of the snow. That's another callback to the start of the episode. But, um, yes, it'd be, it'd be nice to think that, that it all links up. Maybe they'll be given the afternoon off to go along and watch. I don't know. But, anyway, um, good on them. And uh, Neil and, and Ryan did a good job there. Finally this week, it's a short episode, but, you know, there's, there's other things going on. Uh, Gordon, now, I'm not... Gordon, in second half of your email, you discussed the Chinese uh, suspensions. I'm not going to read that out for the reasons I mentioned earlier, uh, just because I think the case needs to be allowed to um, be investigated and we'll discuss it, no doubt, when it's resolved, one way or another. But for now, I'm going to leave that out. But in terms of your first half of your podcast... So many, uh, first of all, congrats on 25 years being involved in snooker. I feel that your contribution to the sport is invaluable and long may it continue for the future. Well, thank you. Uh, that's very kind of you. So unfortunately, another long email for you today, but it covers two key topics. Well, there will only actually one by the time I finish reading it out. <laughs> uh, he said, I attend, now this is another, um, missive from Edinburgh. Okay. So this is another, um, perspective on the, the Scottish Open. He says, I attended the first session, uh, of the Scottish Open Monday morning and really enjoyed being able to watch live snooker for the first time. It made me really appreciate the atmosphere of professional players having to play their normal game while a crowd watched on, ready to make noise in tense situations. While it was enjoyable to watch, the position I'd sat in the crowd was uncomfortable, primarily because of an obnoxious spotlight above the match table that made viewing the snooker more difficult. Admittedly, I could have moved to another part of the arena, uh, but where I was sat had the more interesting games of tables one and three, and I preferred to sit far from the bulk of the crowd rather than in the thick of it. Most interesting things to happen for me were seeing Jimmy Allen and Rachel enter the arena and sit in the bubble studio while they waited to go live for the afternoon session. I didn't really appreciate that side of things, as I was so used to them just being in the studio when the TV cameras started rolling. I didn't realise how much time they needed to spend getting ready to go live on the Eurosport coverage. In addition to that, during the morning session I attended, Jan Verhaas sat a few seats from us in our row. I obviously couldn't say hi or any of that, but it made my experience all the more real, having seen Jan so much as a referee on the television coverage. So being able to say I'd sat a mere feet from him validated the experience all the more. Well, thank you. I mean, Jan is a legend, of course, and uh, he, was, I would, he was there, I'm guessing, assessing the other refs, because that tends to be what he does now. In terms of the, uh, the, the, the Eurosport studio team, it's one of the great cliches you see in, in TV dramas about TV is that if there's a live broadcast, the presenter will, because there'll be some drama going on elsewhere, they'll walk to their chair, literally with about three seconds to go, sit down, and they're on air. That does not happen in real life, okay? They are in there a good half an hour beforehand, rehearsing, going through what they're going to do, checking all the VTs, checking the, the running order, and just discussing, you know, how the program's going to go. You know, there's, there's no just walking in at the last second. Um, <clears throat> so, anyway, I'm, I'm, it seemed to be a hit to actually be able to watch uh, watch the guys in the studio there, and, and of course they'll be on site to, again. I think Neil is there with, with Jimmy and Rachel in Brentwood. Well, that's basically it. It's not been the most... Um, uh, you know, packed episode, but you know, they're the emails we've had. I've read them out, and 
as I say, there's not been a lot happening, except to say that one bit of good news, the Six Reds World Championship is going to be back on, because it got postponed in September, um, because of things going on in Thailand, but it, it looks like it's back on in March, it's back on the World Snooker Tour calendar, and there will be some qualifying for uh, the tour players, I think there's four places, so there's already players invited, and there's a chance to get into it as well, and uh, the qualifiers will take place uh, in January, around the time of the Masters, so... Um, it's another tournament. It's, I know six reds isn't everybody's cup of tea, but it's not. It's not harming anybody either. So uh, it's uh, it's another opportunity for players to play and maybe get a chance to go to, to Bangkok, Thailand, and, and get into the the main draw. But that's basically it. So as I say, the English Open is our next port of call. Uh, Championship League follows that. Then it's the Christmas break, um, and then it's the the second half of the season really. And it'd be interesting. I mean, we'll sort of review the years at, at a later date, but. There's a few top players who need to start firing. The most obvious of them is John Higgins, who needs to get to the final of the English Open to get into the first player series event, the World Grand Prix. Um, now, bearing in mind, he was in all of those events last season. He, he was 9-4 up in the final of the Tour Championship, lost 10-9. So that's how, how deep he went into the player series. You have to feel there's a slight knock-on from that defeat and some of the others he, he suffered last season. I get the feeling that what, he, what he's suffering from mainly is a kind of general lack of motivation. It was quite telling, I thought, at the Scottish Open. He started saying that, you know, well, defeat, it doesn't hurt that much really. You know, Christmas is round the corner. Although he's almost already sort of in the festive season. Um, so it's one of those seasons for him where he's not quite with it maybe yet. But that can change. One good run in an event, maybe that'll get the, the, the juices flowing again. So he is in trouble. Um, but there's a few other players in general not firing. Obviously, Judd Trump hasn't won a, a title since the, the Turkish Masters in March. Uh, Neil Robertson, he did won the mixed doubles and he's gone deep in a couple of the, the first two home nations events, a couple of semi-finals, but he's looking to win a title. Uh, Mark Selby hasn't won a title since the 2021 World Championship. Xiaoxing Tong is, a, is another player, of course, did so well last season, not firing this season. And there's a few others as well. So it'd be interesting to see whether one of those guys can end on a high. Will we get another first-time winner like Gary Wilson uh, at the Scottish Open? We're going to find out. But there's a definite feeling in Snook at the moment that the opportunity is there for anyone down the rankings, basically, to have a good week. And we saw, of course, Joe O'Connor and Gary Wilson in that uh, Scottish Open final. You know, they, they fought their way through playing well. The action, as ever, is live on Eurosport and Discovery Plus. Quest have uh, these all sessions live at the weekend as well, and they have highlights every day. Uh, and no one's told me to sell that, by the way. I'm just I'm just helpful in that way. That's how you can watch in in Europe, uh, around the world. There are other options, of course, and the World Snooker website has a list of how to watch. It's not always correct, it, it seems, but anyway, they're they're, they're doing their best. Um, so hopefully, wherever you are, you can you can watch the action. But that's it. We're proud members of the Sports Social Network. Check out their other podcasts. In the meantime, uh, we'll be back next week. Do email us, snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. That's snookerscenepodcast at mail.com because uh, it's all appreciated. And if you're going to Brentwood, let us know because before the event, you know, people were saying it's not the best venue, but that may not be the case. You may go along and have a great time. So let us know one way or the other. But uh, in the meantime, as we always say, goodbye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.